Welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zorah, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father Kish were lost, and Kish said to his son Saul, Take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. Then 1 Samuel 9, verses 15 to 17. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Then 1 Samuel 10, verses 17 to 24. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, No, appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, Yes, he has hidden, his, hidden himself among the supplies. They ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king. 1 Samuel 11, verses 1 to 3. Saul rescues the city of Jabesh. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, Make a treaty with us, and we will be subject to you. But Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on one condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days so we can send messages throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, then we will surrender to you. 
1 Samuel 11, 11 to 15. The next day, Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were, were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who was it that asked, Shall Saul reign over us? Turn these men over to us, so that we may put them to death. But Saul said, No one will be put to death today. For this day the Lord has rescued Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kinship. So all the people went to Gilgal and made Saul king in the presence of the Lord. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord. And Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. Rosemary, thank you very much. That was a long reading, wasn't it? But at least it wasn't all three chapters. Good morning. Peter Scott is my name. I serve here as the associate pastor, and it's great to be with you. I really enjoy bringing our time before God. So would you, would you bow your heads? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning to explore your word. Lord, we're looking forward to what you've got to say. Speak to us, we pray, as we explore these chapters of 1 Samuel. Thank you, Father, we love you. Amen. So, we are starting a series on Saul. King Saul of the Old Testament, not Saul who became Paul in the New Testament, if you're familiar with that story. And the first thing I want to ask you to do as you look at that image is kind of cross that out of your mind because that's going to be next week. Our series is in two parts. This week we're talking about a first few chapters of uh, Saul, where Saul is in 1 Samuel, and next week we're going to talk about King Saul uh, later on. And that image, the sort of older Saul, is for next week. So I want you to have an image in your mind of a, of a younger man. I'd also, if you've got your Bible, I'd encourage you to have it open because we, we'll actually be looking at most of chapters 9, 10 and 11 of 1 Samuel. And I'll touch a little bit on, on chapter 7 and 8 as well. But, but those three chapters, and I, I didn't want us to spend 10 minutes reading through it. It would have been worth it. But I just wanted to condense that in. So thank you, Rosemary, for reading those excerpts. Uh, so where, where are we with this morning? We are looking at Israel, the nation of Israel, in a state of complex political intrigue. It's a few hundred years since the nation has arrived in the promised land. And when they got there, everything was pretty good. They were worshipping God, land of milk and honey. But the next generation after they arrived started to turn away from God, from Yahweh. And as they did that, what happened was that other nations around them started to attack and, and, and there was lots of tension and there was war. And so God raised up somebody called a judge. And there's a whole book in the Bible before 1 Samuel called Judges that tells us about these judges. And God raised up a judge and the judge brought the nation together because the nation of Israel was composed of 12 tribes. Brought them together and they managed to fight off the enemy so that there was peace and they came back to Yahweh. 
But then after a little bit of peace, the people sort of forgot about God and, and started going a different way and worshipping other gods again. And other nations started attacking. So God rose up another judge. And this pattern kind of repeated, actually for hundreds of years. And you can read about that in the book of Judges. Where we are now in 1 Samuel, we come across Samuel, who is kind of the next ruler. And and listen to the way he leads. In chapter 7, verse 9, it says, Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. So the way Samuel led, the way these judges led, was asking God, God, you're actually our king. What should we do? And then that judge, or Samuel as, as a prophet, as a judge, would tell them, this is what we need to do, this is what God says. So that's the situation that we're in. But just before 1 Samuel chapter 9, we find the people of Israel led by their elders saying, this isn't really working. We've had 500 years of this. And what we see is these other nations with kings. They have kings. They have these people who actually lead all the time. And and after they've led, they've got a successor. And that looks like a good model. And by the way, Samuel... You are getting a bit old. And and we know that you've got a couple of sons, but listen to what the Bible says about his sons. In chapter 8, verse 3, it says Samuel's sons, so maybe his natural successors as judges, they were taking bribes and perverting justice. Hmm. So here we have the people agitating, and they say, Samuel, we want a king. So what does Samuel do? Samuel does what he should do. He goes to God and he says, God, the people want a king. What should I do? Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. Chapter 8, verse 7. Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. That's what God said to Samuel. Now, at this point in my sermon preparation, I got a bit tempted to start talking about democracy, which is where all the people have a say, versus theocracy, which is where God says what's going to be done, and otherocracies. But I thought I'd save you from talking about too manyocracies. But here's what I did want to talk about. God here listens to his people. God listens to his people, and he says in chapter 9, verse 16, he has heard the cry of his people. We are his people. We are his church. He listens to us. And and the mini message here that I want to draw out is that we need to be really careful what we ask for. Because in this instance, God actually didn't... He knew that the people didn't need a king. He was their king. But the people asked for it, and God heard their cry. And in this instance, God says, Okay, okay, you want a king? In love, I'll give you a king. And so here we, ha- here we have Samuel, the ageing prophet, with dodgy sons who nobody wants to be successors. We've got nations on either side. We've got the Ammonites that we heard about who are attacking and agitating. We've got the Philistines on the other side. And we've got the people clamouring for a king. And because I watch a lot of movies, here's how I process the next step as we move into 1 Samuel chapter 9. We're at the end of a scene in the movie where there's this high-powered meeting between the elders and Samuel. 
and it's very tense, and there's a few cutaways to the international, you know, the, the, the difficulties happening. In our day, it might be rockets and things, you know, the difficulties, the war that's coming, big picture stuff. Cut. Next scene. Small track. Two guys wandering along. Here, donkey, donkey, donkey. Here, donkey, donkey, donkey. Saul and his servant looking for donkeys. It doesn't seem to me like Saul really had a clue about what was coming. As I've read these three chapters, Saul is out looking for donkeys. He doesn't even seem to know that they're near the great prophet Samuel. And then, although we didn't read it here, what we see when Saul actually meets Samuel, he doesn't know who he is. Now, I know they didn't have you know, Facebook, so he may not have known the exact face, but I suspect Samuel would have been a fairly well-known personality. And Saul actually says to Samuel, hey, Samuel, uh, hello, can you point me to where Samuel is? I want to meet the great prophet. And Samuel has to say, oh, uh, that's me, actually. So Saul has no idea. One day he's out looking for donkeys, and the next he's anointed king of the nation. So the first sort of big point I want to make this morning is that God reaches in to Saul's life and he calls him into this amazing and unexpected purpose. It's a purpose that Saul wasn't looking for. And it's a purpose he could hardly have imagined out hunting for donkeys and now I'm going to be king. Have you ever had something like that happen to you? I've had one experience that was a little bit like that. Fascinating experience. I... uh, I was called into my boss's office. The door was shut, and here was the question. What are you doing for the next few months? All right, so I start thinking about that, and I start processing, you know, here, here are some things I think I've got on. I've got, uh, I've got this project that I need to do, and I've got some deliverables, and then I was single at the time, so, well, I've got a few, few things going on. Um, And on the other side of my mind, I'm thinking, what's this question? Where's this come from? And it turns out they wanted me to go to Taiwan in a couple of days' time, pack your bags, for an indeterminate period of time, definitely at least several months to go and live there. And as I started digesting that, a few questions arose. And the first one was, why me? Now, I'm not really qualified for this. I mean, okay, so I've got a degree and I'm sort of working in this area, but this is, this is a big job. That's, that's not something I can do. Later on, of course, I found out that I was like eighth in line and other people had said no, but at the time I was thinking, I'm not really qualified for this, and I was kind of right. I had some qualifications, but not a lot. And I was also thinking, partly because of that, well, there's going to be some opposition there's a lot of people I think I know who actually would like to go on that. This sounds like a really quite a fun job. They're not going to like me. And, and actually, there's people I've got to deliver stuff for. They're going to be opposed to this. And, and even the people when I get there, I might not do a good job. They might not like me. There's going to be opposition to this. And the third thing I thought was, boss, how are you going to set me up for success? How is this going to work? You have to set me up for this. All those questions, I think, are what Saul would have thought and was facing. So let's look at them. Was Saul qualified for this gig? Was Saul qualified to be a king? Well, as we read through, we we read in uh, chapter 2, verse 2 of chapter 9 here, 
He was handsome and a head taller than everyone else. Now, whilst not a prerequisite for kings, that's, you know, somebody you might want to follow in those days. If they're a foot taller, they're probably big and strong, and that's the sort of kingly person that I want to follow when we're going out to war and it's hand-to-hand combat. So, okay, maybe tick. Outward outward, uh, impression, maybe he's qualified in that area. What about his heritage? What about Saul's heritage? Well, Saul himself says in verse 21 of chapter 9, hang on, I'm from Benjamin. It's the smallest clan and I'm from the humblest tribe, uh, the humblest, smallest tribe and I'm from the humblest clan. And what he's really saying is, you know what, when you're going to lead a confederation of tribes, you need to have some clout. And I'm a little guy, I, I, I have no real influence here. I'm from the smallest tribe and from this humble little clan. So in that respect, maybe I'm not really qualified. On the flip side, even though I was a little bit disparaging earlier about the donkeys, actually that might indicate that Saul was from a wealthy family. So one, one scholar that I read said, think of it these days like a family that owns a lot of cars. Their wealth is in the Porsche and the Ferrari and the Holden and the Commodore and all these cars that they've got. And actually, it's a really wealthy family that's in the transport business. And maybe that's kind of what Saul's family is like. They had a lot of donkeys. And actually, Saul going out to look for them was probably quite a responsible job. He'd been sent out to go and find the family wealth. So in that sense... From a wealthy family, maybe he did have some influence and some connections. So it's sort of a mixed qualification, perhaps. What about behaviourally? Was Saul qualified to be king from a behavioural perspective? Well, when we meet Saul, he's looking for donkeys, and in verse 5 it says he was worried about the donkeys, and then he's worried about what his dad thinks. And two verses later in verse 7 when the servant suggested, hey, let's go and see the man of God, he's worried about money. We don't have enough money and, and we, don't, we can't even buy food. He's a warrior. Interesting contrast with the servant. While Saul's getting all stressed about stuff, the servant says, hold on. Let's think. We need to ask God. Actually, I know there's a man of God over here. So the servant shows poise and he shows knowledge as composed to Saul's sort of worry here. And then the servant finds the money. We haven't got money. Oh, actually, yeah, yeah, oh, look, I've got some. Here we go. So Saul's a warrior. Mm, not sure warrior, O-R, not A, a warrior. So Saul is a warrior. Not sure that's so good for being a king. And then there's this hiding in the supplies. Some versions say in the baggage train incident. How's that for a king? Is that the sort of guy that you'd like to follow into battle? I'm not sure. I'd call that a mixed qualification, if you ask me. So Saul's qualifications here are mixed. And yet, God calls him into this role despite those mixed qualifications. Possibly because of those mixed qualifications, he also faces opposition. In chapter 10, 27, it says this, Some of them were doubtful about his capabilities, and they despised him. Now, these are the people who actually I think I empathise with. I think I probably would have sat in that camp. The scene is that all of Israel, all the good and the great, have been gathered together and we're choosing the next king. And the lot comes to Benjamin. And then the lot comes to the clan. And then it's Saul, it's Saul, 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 Saul here. And God has to say he's, over there. he's hiding, he's behind the curtain. 
He's in the supplies. Mm. So there's a bunch of people there who's saying, the guy's hiding and we're not even in battle yet. What's going to happen when we go into battle? Why would we follow that guy? So there's opposition. But it's not just them. What's really interesting here, if you, if you think about the dynamics, it's not exactly explicit in the Bible, but in chapter 8, verse 6, it says that Samuel was displeased Israel was asking for a king. So put yourself in Samuel's shoes. He has been leading the nation. And now they ask for a king because, Samuel, we don't want you anymore. And he and God know that actually a king's not the best thing, but he, God says, we'll go and appoint Samuel. So there's probably some tension here as well from the guy who's, who's appointing you. So I think what we see here is, is God calling Saul with mixed qualifications and through opposition into this amazing role of king. Well, let's pause for a second. We've been talking for 15 minutes about something that happened thousands of years ago. Is it relevant for us today? Is it relevant for us today? That's the question. I think it is. You know, I think God called Saul into a purpose and God calls each of us into a purpose as well. God called Saul, actually Dave mentioned it this morning from stage, God called Saul into a story that was much bigger than himself. And I believe he calls each of us into a much bigger story as well. This story that Saul was called to, this role was to serve others. It's a role that involved risk and sacrifice. Even though maybe he wasn't fully qualified. Even though there was opposition. So what's God calling you into? What has he called you into? We can't all be called into being kings and queens, unfortunately. But maybe it's a job that you've been called to. Maybe it's a role. Maybe a ministry or a community. Helen and I have been to a lot of conferences together over the years, or a number of conferences. We always get something out of them. We really enjoy them. For me, perhaps the most impactful one we went to was run by a group called Visionary Family Ministries. And the lead guy is a guy called Rob Reno. And over this weekend, he told us a story, his story, about being a youth pastor in a big church in the U.S., and uh, the ministry was going fantastically. And, and at that stage, 10 years into this ministry, it's going great. Family side of his life not going quite so well. At this point, he had, I don't know, four or five of the now eight children that Rob Reno has. And uh, God said to him, you know, Rob, something's not quite right here. And, and the short version is he tells the story, he was convicted that whilst he was telling everybody in the youth group and in the church, this is how to do life, maybe he wasn't doing that at home. And he came to this realisation that his wife and children needed to be more important. And that weekend, here's what happened for me. I'd already been called into being a husband and father. I was married, I had a couple of little kids. But something changed and God said to me, your number one ministry is your wife. Your number one ministry in life is your wife and your children. Whatever you're going to do in life, that is your number one ministry. God changed my heart that weekend to point that out to me. He wanted me to own it. Now, was I qualified? In some ways, yes. I was already married, so that's a good start. 
But, you know, there are some times in my marriage where I want to be hiding behind the curtain. There are some times I, I have to confess on a large stage where I don't take the initiative that I should. There are times when I worry about money and I say, we don't have money for that, honey. And Helen rightly points out, we actually, we do and we should spend it on this. So I have mixed qualifications. Is there opposition? Yeah. There's regularly competition for my attention and my time and my energy than to spend it on my family. And yet God calls me and has given me a very clear call into serving my wife and my kids. And here's the good news in the story of Saul, that God does set Saul and us up for success. Let's look at what he did for Saul. So we're looking at a man who's been called into a ministry with mixed qualifications through opposition, but God sets him up for success. And here's how he does it. First, we see that God's call is very clear. So when Samuel gets Saul, a couple of things happen. First of all, he takes him to a massive banquet and gives him the best piece of meat. Doesn't say in the Bible. I'd love to know which actual chunk was it because it sounded really nice. But here we go. That's one sign. Next morning, Samuel gets up and says, Saul, three things are going to happen today. They're kind of weird things. And they actually come true. They happen. Another clear sign. God gives Saul these very clear indications, I'm calling you. And then in chapter 10, verse 9, it said, God changes Saul's heart. So a little bit like I was trying to say, I experienced at this conference. Actually, God steps in and the Bible says that Saul's heart was changed. Saul's heart was changed so he knew, yes, I'm going to be king. For us today, a changed heart is a result of accepting Jesus. So if you've accepted Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And that changed heart enables us to carry out the purpose God's calling us to. Not only did God give Saul a new heart, but God's spirit came on him powerfully. We see in chapter 10, verse 10, that Saul prophesies with prophets. And it says that God's spirit came on him powerfully. And then in 11.6, the spirit of God comes on Saul and he's able to bring all of Israel together. 330,000 men come together to fight under Saul to save the day against the Ammonites and to save the right eyes of all of those in Jabesh Gilead. Well, we have God's spirit available to us today. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, it says, Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you and whom you have received from God. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit counsels us and guides us in all truth. And the final thing is that God makes the terms of the calling clear. When he calls us into a purpose, he often makes it really clear what those terms are. For Saul, we see in 10, chapter 10.25, that the rights and duties of the king are nicely spelt out. Samuel gives this to the whole nation. He says, this is, what's, this is what the rights and duties of a king are. So Saul can be very clear. So what do we see? That God has called Saul with mixed qualifications through opposition and set him up for success. And does he succeed? Yes, he does. He gets the Israelites together. They defeat the Ammonites And what's really interesting is that 
as that's happened, Saul also steps into what God's called him to do. So in verse 11, or verse 12 of chapter 11, the people say to Samuel, right, we've had victory. Good choice of Saul, actually. Sorry we missed that. And, and some of those people who were doubting him, those people who didn't like Saul, actually, we should knock them off because they're, they're a bit dangerous. We need to get rid of them. And it's the people saying that to Samuel. The answer comes from Saul. Saul steps in with new authority, says, no, we need to give them grace. And he also, in the same verse, says, because the glory for this victory needs to go to God. Now here we have a king. We see Saul has been set up by God for this victory and he stepped into this place of leading the nation well. The message translation says at the very end of chapter 11 that the Israelites worshipped God and Saul and all Israel celebrated magnificently. And that's where we're going to leave the story of Saul for this morning. Now, in a way, it's sort of a midpoint. It's not the end of the story. Some of you might know other things that happen in Saul's life as as we go on. But we're going to leave it there. And one of the reasons why is because all of us right now are kind of at the midpoint of our lives. Now, some some of us are younger, some of us are older, but all, all of us have chapters yet to be written. So we're going to pause the story of Saul at this point where there are chapters in our life yet to be written. And I want to encourage you out of this story. I want to encourage you with a few things. First of all, that God does have a call and purpose for your life and for my life. Psalm 138 verse 8 says this, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me and for you. He's calling us into something. It's bigger than us. It's serving others and it might involve risk and sacrifice. Perhaps though this morning you feel like you're out looking for donkeys. Perhaps in a trivial sense, perhaps like you just, you just don't know what the call is yet and you're just going about business looking for donkeys. Or maybe in the sense of, no, actually, I'm doing important stuff, but it doesn't feel like a call from God yet. I'm looking after some family things, or I'm doing things that are important, but it doesn't feel like a call. I want to encourage you to keep searching. Particularly if this morning you haven't met Jesus yet. I want to encourage you to keep searching. Because what the Bible shows us, this story... Many other stories, the whole Bible shows us is that God is at work in the world. God is working right now. And he's got a purpose for each and every one. He has a plan for our lives. And if you haven't met Jesus, that plan starts when you meet Jesus. Because in Jesus Christ is redemption, is forgiveness, is purpose. He's the way, the truth and the life. So if you feel like you're hiding somewhere, or you're out looking for donkeys, I'd encourage you to keep searching. Know that God knows where you are and that he has a purpose for you. But perhaps this morning you're, uh, you're confident, you know what the call is or was, but you're just feeling like, you know what, I'm not really qualified for this. Or, or you're feeling this opposition and, and I'm struggling to work through this opposition. I want to encourage you this morning to trust in that call. Trust in the call God has given you. Because are you qualified? 
Probably not. God calls us into something much bigger than ourselves. And he does that so that his glory can be seen when that thing happens. He calls us into this place of needing to have faith in him. So the fact that we're not qualified is actually quite normal when God calls us into something. And if you're feeling like there's a lot of opposition, know that God is bigger, that he's already got the victory. And so the encouragement for you this morning, my encouragement to you is trust in his call. Finally, you might be feeling, I'm in a good place. I know what I've been called to. What's a call? Maybe I've been using that terminology and I think, what is that? It just means it's a purpose that God has for you, a mission, something for you to do. He's calling you into it. Maybe you're thinking this morning, I know what it is and I'm on track and everything's going well and a little bit like the Israelites, I'm feeling like we're celebrating because I'm in the right spot. I want to encourage you to stay faithful, continuing to serve, continuing to be gracious to others and continuing to give glory to God. God calls us, each of us, despite a potential lack of qualifications. He calls us through opposition and he gives us the tools for success. Let's pray together. Father God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that you call us into your purpose. That you call us into this big picture story that you have, despite our inabilities. Lord, so that we can learn to trust you. Lord, through opposition, so that we can see your strength but also, Lord, that you provide tools for success. Father, and for those of us who feel this morning like we are looking for donkeys, like we're just not sure, Lord, would you help us trust that you're at work? Help us know that you have this big plan that we are a part of. And Lord, help us move closer to you. Lord Jesus, we thank you and it's in your name we pray. Amen.